Mike Stebbs in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. These Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys. Underbuskater Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Bucks is spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow, he's going to make Sports Center with an incredible Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it! Ball game, East Tennessee State's going to leave on another... They got him, if he catches it, it's over, ball game! Touchdown, Jawan Stinson! 25 yards! J.J. German for the win! He got it! J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs! And the sidekick. Say hello to my little friend! What's your name, man? I told you it doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent. It's Sandos in the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Every time I hear that intro, I'm not sure if it's describing sidekick or just the show in general. But either way, we've got a special CIT edition of Sandos and the Sidekick. Not all basketball talk. We will talk CIT. We will talk Green Bay. We'll certainly talk our thoughts on the NCAA, NIT, CBI, CIT, mid-major tournaments, all our complaints that I'm sure uh, you have, that I have, and then we can just uh, see where we fall on those. And then last but not least, final segment, uh, Coach Panucci. Joe Panucci will join us, ETSU Baseball, big game tonight against the Tennessee Volunteers. But all this getting set, uh, again, we're in that weird uh, kind of part of the year, right? There's not a whole lot going on. Plus, we had to take a week off because we didn't really know what we're going to talk about, where we're going to go, what we're going to do. Right. We'll get to the uh, gripe session, if you will. Second segment, a lot to go there because uh, I have several complaints, I'm sure. <laughs> You do, too. Oh, I've loaded them up. They're in the chamber. Oh, I love it. I love it. All right, well, let's talk. Certainly, uh, everyone knows ETSU, at least I'm assuming you know by now, ETSU will play Green Bay. It is the rematch of the 6 a.m. game, which is the only time I've ever left an Mm -hmm. arena in which it was daylight. Before business hours. I went in, it was dark. Yeah. And I came out, and it was daylight, and it threw off the whole system. It was really... Very interesting. I'm glad ETSU got to play. I don't know how many 6 a.m. games I would want to do, and now they've kind of disbanded it last year. This past season, they did not do the 24 hours of basketball. ESPN did not because once the novelty of several years wore off, they were having a hard time getting teams to commit to play 6, 8, 10, whatever. I I love the idea. I think they should have did I think ETSU probably could have maybe did a nooner or something like that at some point. But either way, that's the rematch game. That was actually a year in which uh, ETSU lost in championship game to Chattanooga the 2015-16 season. Green Bay actually went on to uh, win the Horizon Tournament and go to the NCAA Tournament. Uh, I think Gilon Gwynn led five scores in double figures. He had 26. T.J. Cromer had 17. I want to say there was a Benny Lufill sighting for 10 points uh, in that contest. And beyond that, I can't remember the other two guys that wow, nice. had, had double figures. But uh, uh, when you play at 6 a.m., there's just a lot of things that kind of stick in the memory, and that was – uh, the ones that I, that I remember. And then uh, there was a Cantor. Enos Cantor's brother was in that. And the reason you should know his name, not because he particularly played well versus ETSU, but, yes, that's the same one that transferred to Xavier and yes. hit the game-winning yes. three. Yes, I knew I rep- oh, yes. I knew I recognized Yes, you hate him name. already. I knew I recognized the name, and I knew that there were some negative feelings welling up inside because I'm never going to forget that Xavier game ever. They life. drew up a play. For a guy coming off the bench that hadn't shot a three all day. And, and he hit it. I mean, kudos to Chris Mack. And by the way, karma is something, right? Because Chris Mack 
came back from 22 points to beat ETSU, he blew the 23-point lead against Duke mm. at home. So I don't know what's yeah, worse, right. being able to come back Ooh. from 22 at home or being at home up 23 and seeing the train wreck it can't go. How do you go for six minutes, two points, a couple rebounds, at Green Bay at 6 a.m. against DTSU to hitting the game-winning shot for a number like eight in the country Xavier team against DTSU? That, that's an incredible leap. That's, a, that's level jumping a few, I feel like, on the span of college basketball going from – at the Horizon League in Green Bay, 6 a.m. to how do you do that? That's uh, that's unbelievable. I knew I recognized that name though. That's very no, frustrating. I can tell man. you from previous experience playing very early and late hours of the night. Division three, you kind of have to play whenever you can. Play baseball at Augsburg College of Minneapolis. Uh, the Metrodome, if you remember the Metrodome. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, before, back. yeah. before it caved in uh, because of the snow on top of the roof after like two feet one night. Uh, baseball was played like late January all the way up through late April because in Minnesota you got nowhere else to play you got to travel that's more money that you have to spend and etc etc kind of snowballs no pun intended it's just easier to play at the Metrodome so that happened for like three or four hundred games a year and they would play 24 hours a day it wasn't a one-time thing one day a year cameras there there was about 20 people there for every game and it started at like 6 a.m and the last game ended at like 4 a.m and i played both very late nights and very early mornings and it is a strange feeling walking out of a place especially one that's enclosed you know like a basketball arena is baseball as well so you have no idea if light day night anything and you walk out and like the sun is coming up and you're like well i feel like it should be the opposite because usually once you're done with the game the sun's already down or the sun is setting so i can sympathize with some of the things that you're talking about uh etsu just a couple things on the cit number 69 in the rpi last time i saw i believe this was yesterday which is the best ranking amongst all cit teams by like 50 uh that no that's for the net ranking because oh, drake's, drake's rpi is like 71 and then there's one other team or two other teams that are inside the top 100 but then the net ranking is like 74 to like 137 yeah, or something it's, like that. it's, it's outrageous lot. so i think etsu has an exceptional chance in this tournament to go and get a title I know Steve Forbes in his quotes to Kevin Brown in the story that was announcing that they were in the CIT said, look, our goal, keep playing well, get the championship. You've talked about before on this show and on pre- and post-games of men's basketball broadcasts we've had, and we will have all the CIT broadcasts on the Buccaneer Sports Network, half-hour pregame, 30 minutes before tip-off, about how practice time is big and gaining that camaraderie and making sure you can have extra time with the kids leading up to a competitive environment like they are in the CIT. So there's a lot of things it, here. That is there a chance, too, where, you know, do you use this for the top eight? Nine? Now, obviously, Patrick Good's out, right? He, he's right. elected to have the surgery. It's a five, six-month recovery. We good for rather, him and good for Davian Williams. Rather have him also, yeah. back in September than you would for this tournament, let's be honest. But in the same token, do you use this uh, as an opportunity to get – DeAndre Bernard. Do you Absolutely. play Carlos Curtis? Do you Absolutely. Do? And this is what they do in bowl games. This is essentially like a bowl game. Instead of playing for an national championship, doing this, you use this for extra practice. Use this for you know. Do we want to try different plays, different sets, different defenses? Do we want to know what is our skill set if these guys are on the floor at the same time? So I think. So I mean, you're going to play to win. I'm not saying they're using this as just some exhibition game throwaway. And if you lose, they're happy to get the extra games. And no, they certainly want to win. But I think it wouldn't shock me if there's some different things, wrinkles that that go on as a chance to sort of a, a trial by fire situation with so many guys coming back to see what happens. And, and so it wouldn't shock me if uh, the 
the bench actually is stretched a little bit, especially in the first half, right, just to do that. Different combinations, you know, do you flirt with playing three big guys? Do you flirt with playing, you know, five small guys? I mean, do do you just have different guys on the floor that – you know, Bo Hodges seems to do everything. Does he run the point at some point? I mean, what do you do? What do you do? You know, with a little bit of research I've been able to do on Green Bay just in the last day or so, I do know at least the games I've watched, they're very zone heavy. And so ETSU's missing a shooter with Patrick Good. Right. Uh, again, does that mean Kevon Tucker and DeAndre Bernard, who has some outside shots, that they get an opportunity uh, to help out and, and get a chance to to, to get some uh, uh, bullets off, if you will. I think, obviously, Trey Boyd will probably uh, – well, I don't know that. I don't know if they'll go Davian Williamson or Trey Boyd in for Patrick and Sarm. Boyd seems to be better off the bench, I, I don't. but so did Williamson. So I don't know, again, what they'll do there. That'll be interesting to see what the lineup will look like, sort of what the rotation is. I mean, I know Patrick Good just – tried to will his way there late but you could argue really the second half of the last several games you know they he kind of disappeared because he couldn't go so is that more of what you'll see you know Sandy Cohn is a spectacular uh, transfer started at Marquette and you played two and a half years and got the weird mid-year transfer exemption from the NCAA and played right away so he's been playing a year and a half with them I know they've got another uh, uh, transfer, six foot nine point guard. It's a little mm. awkward to see. Uh, doesn't score particularly a lot, but you know, again, matchup wise. Now, Green Bay. Uh, you know, one thing I always look at for for games like this is uh, number one, they're rebounding, and then the second thing I look is you know how do they shoot from the outside, free throw shooting, and then from there, it's just a turnover. That's just sort of like my first few things I look at when scouting teams. I'm very unfamiliar with and. Playing Green Bay one time, obviously not very familiar with the plus. It was four years ago. I don't even know that anybody was on the team, and if they were, I don't know that they saw significant minutes against ETSU then. I know no one on ETSU's team saw any action uh, against Green Bay. So uh, it's all kind of new from there, but Sandy Cohen's very talented. He leads his team in like five categories. I think he's top three in four of those categories in the Horizon League. So he's just a very talented, skilled young man that can really score, dish, rebound. He really does it all. Big, athletic, 6'6", 200 pounds, can shoot it from the outside, or or at the very least will shoot it from the outside. 50 made threes, 33% this year. Good free throw shooter, leads the team in rebounds, leads the team in assists by a wide margin, almost five a game, and also in steals and in blocks. So it definitely does a little bit of everything. Jaquan McLeod is somebody that's going to huck it up as well. He's a bit better, more prolific, more efficient of a three-point shooter than Cohen is, 38%. They average over 23s per game. They're being out-rebounded by four boards per contest, but Steve Forbes talked about it a bit uh, in that release as well to Kevin Brown. Pace. They like to go with pace. 80 points a game, and uh, every game that they've played, really, uh, down the stretch has been that same way. You look at the Northern Kentucky game that they lost, 86-82. to Then they beat uh, Illinois-Chicago, 82-77. to The one game that wasn't like that down the stretch was against Wright State, uh, who, of course, uh, were the number one seed, ended up losing. And, and one of the best defensive teams in the nation, right. if you look at the numbers. And held them to 54 points. Points. So uh, if you can take them out of their game, and ETSU has been, I think, a team that has been good at taking teams out of their game. Look at that uh, game against Wofford, the second one of the regular season, um, where they held them to 64 points, I believe it was, in regulation. And until things got out of hand in that first game, we're holding them to uh, a pretty low number as well. UNCG held UNCG to 60. So uh, I'm not sure that ETSU is on the level of a right state defensively, but certainly if you can slow the game down, uh, especially because you don't have 
your other transition shooter in Patrick Good. You have Trey Boyd, and you have some others that can make shots, but uh, Patrick Good, along with Boyd, were your top two shooters, missing one of those. Perhaps ETSU does go to more of a half-court game. I'm not sure how they're going to attack Green Bay, but 17-16 and 16 on the year, 10-8 and eight in the conference in the Horizon League. doesn't strike me as a team that's if ETSU can get under their skin a bit, going to put up a whole heck of a lot of a fight, uh, especially in the building that ETSU is going to be playing in, 51-10 and 10 under head coach Steve Forbes, 13-2 and two this year at Freedom Hall. And from what we've heard and what we've seen, there's some excitement around fans being back out to see this team play. So should be another very good crowd, and I think ETSU has a very good chance to, hey, win a trophy. Let's go get that trophy in the Hugh Durham Classic, Jay Santos. You get the uh, first-round trophy, yes. and then you want to uh, raise it in the last-round trophy. That's right. So uh, the two uh, opponents I want to bring up that yeah. they've played this year, number one, there is a common opponent in Creighton. They both played at Creighton. ETSU struggled in the last you know, 10 minutes to really score. Creighton was able to, to pick up a win. Creighton really uh, did a number on Green Bay, winning by 21, uh, 86 to 65. And really, it was perimeter defense. They held um, uh, Green Bay just one of 10 from three in the second half, just 23% for the contest, five of 22, and held them to 30% shooting in the second half, 35% for the game. The other game I want to bring up is one that uh, Belmont used a little bit as a crutch because mm. Belmont played a overtime game against Samford at Samford and then I want to say they bust to Green Bay because that's part of Rick Bird's from Samford yes from Birmingham and then played two days later Green Bay they gave up 50 some points in the second half and lost and that was the it's like an 18 hour drive and and the argument was and Belmont's been using there's no other team in the country that did that there's no bubble team in the nation that did that and so Maybe you can hold that against <laughs> us if you want, Belmont was saying. You can hold that against if you want. But there, there's, you know, Indiana didn't do that, right? You know, Arizona State didn't do that. St. John's, John's didn't yeah. do that, right? So that was sort of their argument of, hey, one of our losses that you're trying to say wasn't a very good loss. We're saying, hey, why don't you look at our travel and see what happened right. and then go. But that being said, Green Bay beat a very good Belmont team by scoring 54 Second half points, and they threw 100 on the board on Rick Bird. And our fans, ETSU fans, are very familiar with Belmont. They're a team that averages, you know, between 70 and 80 points a game or a little, I don't want to say ball control, but they, you know, they, they'll they play with a little bit of pace, but they are a little more ball control, pass heavy. You know, it's either layup or three for Rick Bird and what they do. But certainly seeing 100 on the board against Belmont. Now, it wasn't home, but certainly seeing 100 on the board gives you a little bit of pause because this is still a very good Belmont team that did get their first ever at-large into the NCAA tournament. So the one common opponent is Creighton. I don't know how much sometimes you can learn from those games. Uh, I do know that uh, Creighton was a particularly great rebounding team this year, and so Green Bay only got out-rebounded by one, 43-42. Belmont did out-rebound Green Bay, so I, I'd like to think, and, and they did dominate in the paint, uh, 63 of the 92 points for Belmont was inside the paint. That's a lot of points to be scoring uh, inside there. And then Belmont just, and this is a, probably another reason why they lost, 6 of 31 from 3, just 19%. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if the legs, again, outside shot. I'm not trying to make an excuse, although we did hear Rick Bird use it. But, I, you know, Dylan Wilder, who is 
unbelievably uh, talented uh, guard, and he's a bigger guard, but he had 31 points and 12 rebounds, and there's 12 and 10 for Grayson Murphy. I mean, this is a team I think that is going Belmont, I think, will beat Temple. I think they'll give uh, Maryland fits. Maryland's got a size advantage, but they're not very good defensively on the perimeter. I think Belmont exposes that, and I'm not real sure Belmont maybe even doesn't beat LSU. <laughs> I think they've got a better draw than uh, what Wofford did. Wofford, although that Wofford got a seven seed, they're playing a playing game. They got a seven seed, they'll obviously get Seton Hall, and then they've, they've got Kentucky. And I could, you know, Kentucky is very beatable. Kentucky's given up. I mean, Kentucky gave up 19 threes to VMI and almost lost. You know, they were trailing UNCG at home as well, playing a game. So the Southern Conference has a little bit of success, at least hanging in there with Kentucky. Now you're talking about a special Southern Conference team, and we'll get – I know i got a yeah. sidetracked again. We'll get back into that in a minute. But for this Green Bay team, to, to see Belmont struggle from the outside but still give up 100 points, I mean, just this Green Bay team, certainly if they can get 80 points on the board on the road, I think it could be a difficult game they for could. ETSU. If ETSU able to play a little better perimeter defense, certainly they've been dominant on the glass this year. If they can uh, dominate the glass, then I think ETSU – uh, would be able, and this is one of those games where ETSU, if they win, they know they don't play this weekend. They're going to wait right. till the next Wednesday, I believe, the twenty seventh. Playing for a second round bye. That's right? right. They'll play a second round bye, and then they'll be sitting there in the quarterfinals, just like they did the first go around in the NCAA tournament, where ETSU beat Furman, a non league opponent at the time. Waited around, then beat Ohio, then in the semifinals lost to Iona. But if they would have won that, because they were the highest rated team, they would have hosted Santa Clara in the championship. Uh, instead, Iona won by three, went home, and ended up beating Santa Clara uh, by three or four. And so I think ETSU has a nice path because I don't think they'll have to leave Johnson City. Right. I don't think at all. I think they'll be able to play at home. I think as the wins happen, I think there will be some – now, Green Bay's a little bit of a name team. I think people were – you know, obviously, if you if you play Seattle or Southern Utah or Presbyterian or some of those, like it doesn't – you know, I, some of them sound made up. Uh, but – when you look at Green Bay, I think people know Wisconsin Green Bay. They know. I mean, went to the even, tournament right before ETSU went to the tournament. Yes, the if nothing else, I think you know. I think football. The, the name Green Bay carries weight, sure. right? It just carries weight. So, I think Green Bay playing in Roslyn, that is good. Then you're talking about a bye. Then possible teams you could play the next round could be anywhere from Charleston Southern to Marshall teams again Buck fans are familiar with plus if Marshall were to come here I think it'd be a frenzy because again people like nostalgia in the old Southern Conference days that's mm. that's one of those teams I hate and wherever Robert Harper's at hopefully he's not listening but uh, <laughs> uh, he knows uh, my disdain if you will for Marshall but that could be another team and not trying to look too far ahead but you could have a possibility of Drake and ETSU down the road and what a great mid-major matchup that would be as well things to make sure that you can get there you have to put a body on sandy cohen make sure that he is not a game wrecker obviously crash the boards make sure that uw green bay comes out on the wrong end of that battle as etsu has put so many opponents on the wrong end of that battle throughout the year and just also the non-quantifiable always strange stipulation and really the intangible of these type of tournaments do the guys on the court care Right, like it's not to say that anyone. Yeah, has you don't. Quit you don't know. That's the ultimate, up, right? But yeah, it's it's. Are they going to take it seriously? The fact that the coaches want you out there for practice time and to gain camaraderie. Are they buying into that? Because if one team isn't, that team is going to get run out of the building. You've pretty much been practicing since July, the yes. second semester. You've been practicing July. A little bit of break. You come back August. You practice a little bit. Then you go full tilt September, and then there you go. So the question is. 
you know, does a guy like uh, Sandy Cohen want to just end his career and focus on the pros? You know, does he has a good chance? Does ETSU want to? You know, hey, we're all returning. We're going to go to Europe. Do we really want to do? I mean, th- that's the ultimate question. You're not quite sure. Yeah. You know, our team's trying to experiment with something different, and it goes awry, and that causes a loss as well. You know, or guys just wanting to say, you know what, if we're going to suit it up, let, let, let's do what we can. The interesting thing for Green Bay, their two or three leading rebounders are all guards. Right. So, uh, I don't know, again, just watching zone, if that causes a lot of more outside shots, longer rebounds. Uh, but, one, you know, Shaquan Hemphill, who, by the way, nickname is Tank at 66180. Uh, and that's because when he was born, he was a very large baby, and his huh. mother nicknamed him Tank. I had to look that up because it threw me off. I'm like, 66180 just doesn't scream Tank kind to me. Tank, yeah. But uh, after I looked it up, I'm like, oh, okay. You know, his mom's like, oh, my goodness, big chunky kid came out, and you know, tall and fat and whatever, and boom, there you go. So we'll just call him Tank, and it just stuck with him his whole life. So, But he's the second leading rebounder, you know, again. Uh, he plays so, all inside the arc. I mean, he's taking two threes. He t- he's yeah. your quasi-forward, your big man. Yeah, at 180, <laughs> yeah. you know. So uh, yeah, it, it's very interesting to see sort of where the rebounds come from. But I think it, it starts and ends with, with Sandy Cohen. He leads the team in points, leads the team in rebounds, leads the team – uh, in free throws, leads the team in assists, block shots. How about that? And he leads in steals. I mean, he leads in turnovers too. But I mean, he's got the ball in his hands a lot, so you're going to expect that to happen. But I think he'll take 150 assists to 90 turnovers. Plus, you throw 17 points on the board with about seven boards, and you're going to live with whatever Sandy Cohen the third wants to do. So, all their guys are either six six or under that are main contributors, aside from one guy that's six nine. That's Cody Schwartz, who they still list. As a guard at 6'9 and 220, uh, he plays like 15 and a half minutes a game. ETSU is going to have them outsized and, and can really take advantage and of And if that. you're a big old Big Ten fan, you yeah. know, uh, Link Donner played for um, played at Purdue mm. for uh, Gene Kennedy. Yep. And so you, you can imagine the way that they like to, to kind of run inside out and some other things on the old Purdue teams. And he was on – I think he was a – I want to say he was a year or two before Glenn Robinson and all those teams kind of went went rocking and rolling for Purdue. Um, but still, you can imagine, they play some some zone. They play, you know, they kind of inside-out game, threes. And stuff. So, a little bit of that per, old Purdue style, if you will, is sort of how they play. So, it doesn't shock me that they've got virtually everybody the same size that play about the same position. That can be a little bit of an amoeba um, zone-type defense. Uh, and then get out and make things a little problematic on the offensive end. So, be interesting to see what happens because each issue play them again. So, Steve Forbes is certainly familiar with them, but none of the players are on either side are familiar with, with each one of these. And you only have a little bit of time to get ready, right? You don't have all this. It's not like this game was scheduled all year. You've got time to look it up. And I think that's the one thing that makes it a little fun postseason tournament. Number one, it's teams you don't normally see play each other normally. And the second uh, part of that is, you know, what is going to happen because teams haven't had a lot of time to prepare and which team maybe did a better job preparing, which team comes ready to play, you know, to determine how the tournaments go. But I think in the first five, ten minutes of of this basketball game, you'll figure out if both teams are ready to go or not. I I don't think this will be one of those where a team that's not ready to play will last a half. I think you'll know ten solid minutes the – sort of that first part of the first half. I think you'll know if both teams are really ready to go 
or if one team is sort of just going through the motions. And it's much easier to get checked out as a road team in that situation that's gone 10, 12 hours where at least for ETSU, they can wake up in their own bed, walk 20, 30 minutes, bus five minutes, drive five minutes over to the arena. They're there, and, you know, if they lose, it's not a long, horrible drive back. There's not a lot of pressure on ETSU where with UW-Green Bay, well, I, wouldn't, I won't say there's traditional pressure. It's the fact that you came all the way down here do you really want to be here? If not, the long road back to Green Bay and knowing that your season's over. There's just a lot of things that play into it. Is I think there it's any... way easier for a road team to get out of it early. Oh, no, absolutely. Is it also – is there any situation where there's a little bit of conference pride too because there's always been a little talk. The Horizons always thought it was a little better uh, than the OVC, the Big South, the SOCON, all, all, all those teams. <laughs> and certainly would agree with that. But is there a little bit of pride where do the teams such as Furman, UNCG, TSU want to make a statement and say, look, we really were that? Or are they all disappointed because of how things shook down for ETSU? It's obviously not getting an IT for the other teams. It's not getting an especially for Greensboro, since they apparently were the last team out. Right. Not getting an NCAA tournament. Are they going to be able to – use that and go or or th- is it going to be a loss and then it actually shows you know what it should show which is the committee was right which is what you don't want right you want Southern Conference to win at least a few games in each one of those to make a statement and say look we were a pretty good league but again you never know what the disappointment from Furman and UNCG and ETSU on how they'll react to that let's talk about it all right we'll do it on the other side of this timeout send a sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network it's funny how things can multiply like cold weather one minute a few snowflakes fall the next, you need a snowblower just to find your feet. Or tardiness. Run two minutes late in the morning and you're a half hour late to work. Uh, come on. But good things come from multiplying too. Like the new Multiplier Instant Games, which give you a chance to multiply your winnings. So go ahead, enjoy the good kind of multiplying today with the new Multiplier Instant Games. Only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Wow, am I happy about my new Wow Rate e-checking account at Citizens Bank. I got a huge rate on my deposit and great account features. With that sort of a deal, I'm saving for much-needed bucks tickets to cheer on my team. Learn more about Wow Rate e-checking accounts at CitizensBank24.com. Wow Rate e-checking accounts at CitizensBank24.com. Go Bucks! Bank your own way. Citizens Bank member FDIC. Looking to promote your business but don't know the best avenue? Stand out from the crowd and go big with billboards. We're Allison Outdoor, and we're the new guys in town. Whether it's digital or traditional billboards, our locations span the Tri-Cities. If you're looking for high exposure for a day, a year, or anything in between, we have rates and packages for you. Call Nick Stickley for pricing at 423-360-4809 or allisonoutdoor.com. And go Bucks! Food City is excited for another thrilling basketball season with the ETSU Buccaneers. Even when slicing up the finest cuts of beef, selecting the freshest produce, or preparing the sweetest baked goods, we live and breathe navy and gold. So go get them, Bucks. On your quest for a Southern Conference championship and beyond, Food City is with you every step of the way. Food City, official supermarket of ETSU Athletics. Johnson City Way. 
Johnson City Hyundai is proud to support East Tennessee State Athletics. Excellence in education, teamwork and trust, success and understanding. They are the core values that drive the ETSU Athletics program to excellence. ETSU Athletics and Johnson City Honda, a winning combination. The Johnson City way. Today and every day, Johnson City Honda is committed to bringing the Tri-Cities a truly unique way to buy a new Honda or a certified pre-owned Honda. It's a way of business we like to call the Johnson City way. When you come to Johnson City Honda, you can have the confidence in knowing you're getting a great deal along with outstanding customer service that will last long after the sale. We invite you to come by today and shop our outstanding selection of vehicles and experience a different way, an easy way, our way, the Johnson City way. Johnson City Honda, proud to support the ETSU Athletics Program. Today and every day, the Johnson City way. Johnson City Honda, Johnson City. not going to focus exclusively on the mid-major top 25 by College Insider. I'm glad that I found a way to work that in at least one more time this year. I know you are, too. Secretly. Deep down. Your eyes don't show it, but your soul says something. I love that you can see it in my soul. What, it's just, that makes me happy, too. What, what I'd love to do is just recap the conference tournaments, talk about the one seeds that did their jobs, the uh, two, three, four, five, and six seeds that upset order and how that affected ETSU and the Southern Conference, if I may. Does that sound all right? Sounds great. America East, the one seed Vermont, beat UMBC by 17 in the final after UMBC beat Hartford in double OT to get to the championship game. I know everyone's devastated last year's Cinderella, not getting into the big dance this year. The AAC, one versus two in that conference, Cincinnati, cruised by 12 over Houston, who many people love, and I'm guessing many also hate. I'm not sure there's a lot of middle ground between those two. In the A-10, number one VCU gets into the tournament, the NCAA tournament, despite losing in the conference quarters to Rhode Island, St. Bonaventure, and St. Louis play a, I thought, wildly entertaining game on CBS Sunday afternoon with the Bonnies missing a wide-open three to win with just seconds left. Billikens by two. Your thoughts on VCU well, getting in because I think it's absolute trash. I think well, well, first of all, I want to say congratulations to former ETSU assistant Will Bailey, who's on the St. Louis staff. Oh, cool. uh, we used to, I used to nickname him the Chill Factor because literally nothing but like you would it'd be the most intense thing and that guy looked like he was on a couch you know eating snacks like he just was never <laughs> he was, he was never high he's yeah. never low yeah right. he literally never so congratulations to, to will bailey um hot takes on vcu come on yeah I, I don't i don't they're, they're almost now they actually got an eight but i almost every nine seed i have to go back and look at it real quick but almost every nine seed and a few tens got me fired up, and and clearly the uh, the elevens where it was St. John's Arizona State is ridiculous. Uh, I just I don't want to jump too far ahead, but yeah. VCU uh, again, yeah. I just it wasn't particularly great. A ten. It's a I, bad league this it year. It is, and I didn't I didn't think there was a whole lot of wins. It just they had a really bad loss again. That, I thought that was supposed to matter. The not just your wins, but where were your quadrant losses? And yep. I just, yeah, I'm not a fan. The ACC number three Duke sneaks by number two UNC by one in the semifinals. Then beat Florida State in the championship game 
and they're my pick to win the NCAA championship. We can talk about that in a bit if you'd like. In the A-Sun, College Insiders, number nine, Liberty upsets one seed and number 13 in College Insiders, mid-major top 25, Lipscomb. So if you want to call it an upset, but a six-point win for Liberty, who many had uh, on the bubble for an at-large Lipscomb, that is. Uh, but uh, that bubble popped. They're a five facing Davidson in the NIT. Liberty has Mississippi State in the 12-5 in the East Region Friday. In the Big 12, Iowa State uh, upsets Kansas for the tournament title, and Iowa State, the Cyclones, I believe, were in anyway. Meanwhile, rumors around Bill Self leaving Kansas with an NCAA investigation pending. They say he's going to the Chicago Bulls. Fred Hoiberg, meanwhile, is the rumored frontrunner for the Nebraska job. Jeff Goodman, former guest of the show, says when, quote, when Tim Miles is out for the Cornhuskers. So coaching rumors are yeah. abound with Bill Self and Tim Miles and apparently the Chicago Bulls. <laughs> it, it's amazing to me um, how that time here – and also I'll, I'll say this. There are also teams that don't accept postseason play, and it's either because they are yep. about to get rid of their coach mm. or – their coach sort of gives the excuse of, well, we really don't want to play because he's trying to get another job. Mm. So you can also look into some of those as well. But this time of year is always interesting because if a coach is going to be fired, why do you – I mean, unless obviously an NCAA term or something right. like that, why do you play in those to – I mean, I don't know what – good unless you somehow deem the assistant coach, which hardly ever happens if you're firing a coach, right? Or you're going, why would you let the assistants and all that do that? So some of those, but it, and you're And you're referring to Nebraska, who is an NIT. Right, right, right. And, and, and so, you know, it's very interesting with, with Nebraska because everyone assumes that that's a done deal. He's going to be out at the end of this. So I'm very shocked that Nebraska is going to play in that because of the situation where it, it, every sign points to he is going to be gone. And I, I'm just curious why they decided to sort of drag that out now. Penn State sort of did that one time with Ed DeCellis, former ETSU head coach, and then Ed ended up winning the NIT, and they couldn't fire him. <laughs> and they had to keep him for two more years before right. they won. But they desperately wanted to get rid of Ed, and they let Ed coach through the NIT. So if you've not learned anything in a Big Ten team in Nebraska, now if you've not learned anything, if you want to get rid of your coach, just get rid of him. Don't give him a chance to somehow get hot. His players hear he's going to play for him. They want to play for him. Yeah. And they end up winning the NIT. Right. If Nebraska wins the NIT, the best conspiracy theory for the Big Ten is if you want to fire a coach, do not let your team play in the NIT. Just get rid of them. Iowa State is a six facing Ohio State. Kansas a four taking on Northeastern in the NCAAs. Big East, a one seed wins. It's Villanova. Needed overtime to beat Xavier in the Big East semis, but they are postseason champions as the one seed after edging by Seton Hall by two points in the final. The three seed Pirates take on the Terriers of Wofford in the 7-10 matchup in the NCAAs. Nova, a six, matched up with St. Mary's, who we'll talk about in a bit. In the Big Sky, the one seed, and it was a second year in a row, Eastern Washington had been up double figures at some point in the last 20 minutes and blown it in the tournament final. The one seed, Montana, the culprits in 2019. They've got your Wolverines, round one, as a 15, which we'll also get to in just a moment. Big South, terrible as it is, not surprising to see the number one seed, Campbell, get bounced in the semis. Gardner-Webb beat them by five. Campbell, the eighth seed in the NIT, facing UNCG. Gardner-Webb, after beating Radford in the Dedman Center in the final, on their home court, try to be the second straight 16 to take down Virginia. And in the Big Ten, your Wolverines slaughtered my Gophers in the Big Ten semis. No shock there, but beaten by the Spartans for the third time this year in the final. Michigan State versus Brown. Bradley in the 215 in the East. We already mentioned Michigan, Montana in the 215 in the West. Your level of confidence in the Michigan Wolverines going into the tournament? Um, well, it's been very low just the to, entire year. Just to beat Montana or <laughs> how far? I, I, th I think they could beat the Grizz. Okay. All right. The next round would be right Florida and Nevada, if I'm not mistaken. I think they could. 
uh, they could get there. I That's think, right. I think, and I, I said this in Lando's Land weeks ago. Yeah. I thought that the, a wild card team, not to win it all, but could make a scary run to the Final Four is Texas Tech. Mm, you did. And I feel like that's a good matchup for Texas Tech versus Michigan. There are three in that same. Yep. And and I'll say this, and I'm glad Landon's not here to hear this, but Syracuse has been one of those teams that has been awful in the regular season, but because of style of play, they have created havoc. It wouldn't shock me if either Syracuse loses their first-round game or makes an elite eight. Like I, I could just see Syracuse beating Gonzaga. I could see them winning the next round game and and in getting to play either Tech or Michigan. And again, that zone defense the way this long. If Tech and Michigan's hitting shots, both of them could beat Syracuse. It wouldn't shock me if Texas Tech doesn't make a Final Four run. I don't think they'll go further than that, no matter who they play, unless there's just massive upsets on the other side. They'll probably run into a very good Duke team in which they've played Madison Square Garden. Duke beat them by like a thousand. So I, I feel like Texas Tech could make a, a good run. I think Gonzaga, Texas Tech would be very strong opponents versus uh, Michigan. I think Nevada and Florida could give Michigan – again, Michigan's one of those teams, if they don't hit shots, they're like Auburn. If they don't hit shots, yeah. no shot. They right. have no shot of winning. They, 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 they play good enough defense, but they're not great defense. They're not a Virginia that can win a 50-42 to 42 game, Ugh. right? You know, they can win a 60s game with ease because they'll hit enough shots and play enough defense. But they've definitely got to get 70s. The other thing is – Bayheim and Beeline, they they just they have the tournament figured out. The yeah. formula to win in the tournament, they got it figured out, and that's why I think it's going to be feast or famine uh, for Michigan. They'll either be in the Final Four or they could lose in in the second round or Sweet Sixteen matchup versus Texas Tech. Michigan, the two in that West region, Texas Tech, the three, Gonzaga, the one, the four is Florida State, and then that eight seed Syracuse who you just talked about uh the big west college insiders number six UC Irvine massacred three seed Cal State Fullerton 92 to 64 in the conference final I am absolutely taking them in the 413 against Kansas State one of five teams with 30 plus wins in the tournament Gonzaga New Mexico State Buffalo and Houston are the others in the colonial yikes for college insiders mid-major number 10 Hofstra 27 and 7 on the year but number two college insiders number 15 Northeastern wins by eight in the tournament final Hofstra to the NIT the North Carolina State matchup, the two versus seven. Northeastern, as we talked about, gets Kansas. Conference USA, one of the conferences that gets kind of lost, like the A-10. Not a mid-major, not a high major. Old Dominion, the one seed and champion, a six-point win over Western Kentucky in the 1-2 matchup in the CUSA final after they survived eight-seed Louisiana Tech in the semis. ODU and Purdue, Gene Cady, uh, Purdue, 26-year uh, head coach, and now Matt Painter. Uh, so you, you get kind of – you sleep on Purdue a little bit because you don't think they're ever – upper echelon, but they've made the tournament like 30 of the last 37 years or something ridiculous. Yeah, and I think there was a stat. I wish I would have remembered it, but there was a stat over the last 20 years with Big Ten teams that just get the Final Fours. And mm. and traditionally, sometimes it's not the, the one or two seeds, right? It, it is the Wisconsin's that's been a four or five. It's been a six-seeded Michigan. It's been some of these lower-seeded teams, and, and not that three is a lower seed, but it wouldn't, Wisconsin's probably done that a couple of times. Too. Oh yeah, it wouldn't shock me if Purdue or Wisconsin, that's mm-hmm. a three or five, maybe gets in over a Michigan State and Michigan that are two seats. Uh, I just the Big Ten mucks it up, and you get tournament play right. They 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 tend to let those physical teams play. And the Big Ten play probably the most physical game of all the, you know, in football it's the it's, it's the ground game and the slop that everyone used to say. Now that teams have changed offenses as of recently. But in basketball it's the same thing. They, they kind of muck it up and slop it up, which is why I think if Virginia could, could hit just enough shots, 
I think this could be the year for the Cavaliers. But for the Big Ten, it wouldn't shock me if, you know, Purdue or Wisconsin or somebody like that would make a run. I, you know, obviously I'm not – you know, your your Gophers are a 10. It's a little tougher for a 10 to make a run. They're the Gophers. But, but if there's a – you know, Iowa's a 10. I mean, you know, I, I think they could win a couple games again, style of play. And uh, I think it helps out, especially tournament, because they let them go at it. Wisconsin and Purdue tend to be more physical type teams. Michigan's a finesse team. Michigan State's a physical team. Uh, but Michigan State's just some bad bounce outs the last couple of years. And I'm curious. Now they, they're on a little bit Are of a win due? streak. They're going, that's yeah. what I'm wondering. You know, has everybody gotten off the Izzo bandwagon and just given it the, well, we've, we believed in you, but we've seen you lose three of the last four years before you get to the Sweet 16 or in the first round, we're just not believing in you. In the Horizon League, Northern Kentucky, who the Bucs beat by 13 last year, beat Wright State, the one seed in the final by 11. Wright State yeah, they're led the by a, a Marshall guy that I hate, too. If you want to go over to John Brennan, I can give you hot takes on him later. <laughs> Wright State gets the auto bid to the NIT, faced Clemson as a 7 versus the Tigers as a 2. The Norse faced Texas Tech, your favorite team, going into the tournament in a 14 versus 3. Green Bay, of course, as we mentioned last segment, also out of this conference, lost in the semis to Wright State. In the Ivy League, Yale hangs 97 on Harvard in the tournament final, and the Crimson go down as the one seed. Harvard to the NIT is a six because of the auto bid, facing Mac McClung in Georgetown. Yale, meanwhile, takes on a very fraudulent LSU team, in my opinion, in the 14-3 matchup in the East. In the MAAC, always one of the most horrific conferences in the country. Six seed Monmouth got to the final to try and upset one seed Iona. Could not, a 21-point win for the Gales. They are the sacrifice of number one North Carolina Friday. And in the the MAC, the MAC, Central Michigan made it tough on Buffalo in the conference semis, but Buffalo cruised in the final against Bowling Green by 14. The runners-up decided against the postseason. College Insiders number 11, Toledo, upset by number 7 seed Northern Illinois early in the MAC tournament. They get an at-large bid. As we mentioned, Bowling Green not in the postseason, but Toledo an at-large bid to the NIT, facing Xavier as the 6th seed. Buffalo versus the winner of St. John's in Arizona State. I... Very happy at Buffalo, just like I am Wofford has seven. Very happy that the committee gave Buffalo a six. And I think then they immediately turned them around and said, all right, we're going to give you the 11 seeds, but we're going to give you 11 seeds that have already played a game. And uh, right, that's the Belmont Temple uh, you just said, right? So I also, also found that interesting that they gave them a couple of other quote-unquote majors to, to play. And I don't know if that was to help or hurt. I, I don't know. I was trying to figure that out because you look at the other – uh, or no, wait a minute. They, they, uh, uh, no, they did get. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Buffalo got the Arizona State St. John's right. So they actually. So they got the big boys. So I was kind of curious because they could have gave them Belmont Temple and sort of secured a second round win for one of the mid majors, but they didn't do it that way. They right. gave the Big Ten Maryland the the sort of the mid major 11s, and then the two big boys, you know, the Big East and with the Pac-12, an opportunity to beat Buffalo. And I'm just kind of curious on the structure. I know they look for sort of storylines, NCAA, which is why Louisville's playing Patino's son, right? right? Little Patino's taking on his former daddy's team. So, uh, you know, you see that happen all the time. They look at matchups like that. Duke and North Carolina have never played in an NCAA tournament. Wow. Ever. Really? In the history of the schools. Hmm. And every year you look at it, they are guaranteed – to be on opposite side of the brackets to only meet in a championship game. And you can't tell me, at all the seedings, at all the years, at all the things, you couldn't stick people. So they liked that for that it. stuff. I, I remember Indiana was an eight seed versus Colorado when Chauncey Billups uh, was there at Colorado. 
And the whole setup is there was an 8-9 game. They're going to play Carolina the one because Bob Knight was going to pass Dean Smith. It was Dean Smith, I think, last year. Uh, he had already said, I'm going to hang it up at the end of this year. And so they wanted the second-round matchup of Bob Knight versus Dean Smith so that they sort of had that storyline of, okay, Dean's the all-time winner. He's going to beat Bob here, but Bob is going to pass him. Right. And then Chauncey Billums went for 42 and upset that <laughs> and threw the whole thing out of whack. Yeah. So, um, but the NCAA looks for storylines like that. That's something they really like to do is to, to, to sort of stick it to teams that way. And so I'm kind of curious on how they did Buffalo, you know, and then sticking them there. Like, was it a way to give mid-majors a chance to win a couple of games? Or do you look at it the other way and say, no, nah, they want to sort of prove the big guys. But I, I hate that Buffalo, I think, is at a disadvantage because if you look at it, one of the two teams that win that in 11 seed not only win the first-round game, but uh, I think it was seven of the last ten years. Or how many years they've done it? Eight years, six years? Whatever it is, but half the time the team that has won that has advanced to Sweet 16. And so I'm kind of curious on what the committee was thinking. They'll never tell us, though. Unfortunately. Uh, the MIAC, constantly awful. This may be the game that hurt the Bucks the most in terms of getting an NIT bid. North Carolina Central beat number one Norfolk State 50-47 to in the final. The three seed through to face NDSU, who the Bucks beat earlier this year in a play-in for the right to get dismantled by Duke. Norfolk State, the auto bid as an eight in the NIT to face Alabama. And the Missouri Valley, number one Loyola gets beaten by Bradley by two. The Braves go on to face UNI in the league final win by three. Back to the dance for the first time in 13 years. Then banned a beat writer from having his usual access because he didn't promote the Bradley brand. Uh, the Braves will face Michigan State. Loyola shrinks the NIT bubble, faces 2 seed Creighton. Did you enjoy the writer gets banned because he doesn't promote the Bradley brand as a supposed to be neutral member of the media? I, I ha- I, I'll say this. There's a huge story that, that just broke on that, and I have not read it. And I desperately want to read because it's supposed, to, it's supposed to give the side of what it – but uh, to me, that's it's total garbage. Yeah. I, I mean, and – Bradley is having to backtrack and do some PR and try to act like, well, this is really misunderstand. So Bradley understands how wrong it is, and they're getting lambasted not just from like local papers here and there, but the national guys have jumped all over this. And if you want to be a head coach at a different school, one of the easiest ways for somebody not to hire you is to do something like that. Mm. If you're going to get made, if you're going to make money, right? If you're going to get paid a lot, you're going to be criticized a lot. And to sit there and think, well, the local beat guy just isn't good. I mean, I don't know. I, I, you know, I haven't read every story, so you I'm not sure what the beat is. You think it was the head coach? You don't think it was the SID's oh, no. office? You think it was oh, no. Oh, no. No, 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 no. They, they have thrown – I only read a couple sentences, okay. but, but the whole part of that was the head coach went to the administrators and said, hey, we need mm. to ban this guy. And so they kind of got on board. And then after Snowball, they've kind of reversed it and kind of threw him back under the bus. And said no. Now, if you ask uh, a resident DePaul fan, it's because he's originally from Marquette, and that's how those people act. But uh, I don't know anything about that. But uh, to Ken <laughs> Brown's conspiracy, of course, it's, it's all Marquette, and that's just how Marquette acts. So I'm mad at the MEAC. I'm mad at the Missouri Valley. Not as upset with the Mountain West, mainly because it falls in the knowledge gap of leagues, just like the Conference USA that we talked about and the A-10. I proved that a couple of weeks ago when I said Utah State was a bubble team at best. They were really in all along. They beat San Diego State, who upset number one seed Nevada. But both the Wolfpack and the Aggies and Utah State in eight versus Washington, Nevada. Just a seven against Florida, who went 19-15 and 15 this year. Uh, the NEC, Northeast Conference, got awful at most things. Another two over a one. Fairly Dickinson 
which sounds more like a mood than a school. A nine-point <laughs> win over St. Francis. Another bid stealer in the NIT that kept the Bucks out. St. Francis an eight plays Indiana. A one in the NIT. Fairly Dickinson uh, on or against Prairie View A&M, excuse me, who ever wins that gets to play in uh, to get demolished by Gonzaga. Who are you more upset with? The MEAC, the Missouri Valley, or the Northeast Conference? What hurt the Bucks the most, or did they just all hurt the Bucks equally? No, I mean, they all did. I, I, what I'm upset about is that San Diego, the seventh seed of the West Coast Conference, gets in. Certainly. Of the NIT. That, that, that's the most and, – and there were lots of schools that were left out that, that have gripes about that. I mean, Wichita State, if it's not Wichita State, if you look at every matrix, the NIT, the RPI, like – None of that says Wichita State should be in as a six, but San Diego as a seven was really the – out of all the teams that sort of came off the board, that got me fired up. But you're right. Are there three or four teams no. that could have won their championship? Their, their, their champ- tournament. Well, let, let, you know, let me say this. You know, I think St. Mary – a lot of people point into that, but St. Mary's would have been an NIT team. Like, like I don't think – I don't think that one hurt. And people are like, well, you know. But it, that one I think helped because – it took St. Mary's out of play. Like, there are a couple that help to get people out of play. Right. Like, if Greensboro would have beaten Wofford, it takes Greensboro out of the NIT. You know, that's why ETSU was pulling for Furman or UNCG. Yeah. Not only is it good for the league, but it takes a team out of play. You know, right. they were hoping a couple more mid-major teams would go. Also, you never know sometimes with a big team. Is NC State Clemson, were they willing to play in it? Because NIT does put feelers out. Hey, if you don't get in, are you going to play in this? Mm. And so those teams did say yes. It was a lot of talk of – you know, was Providence going to play in it? Was Boston College, a couple other of the bigger schools, Nebraska, and the, they all ended up saying yes. That doesn't always happen. There's a lot of times people give it the you – know, Fresno State was left in the cold. That was a, a team that had pretty much banked on being the NIT. So I think a lot of a lot of teams look at San Diego as, as the, the at-large because you can't help the other. But there's – Norfolk State's the one I think that really rubbed because fifty to forty seven. Just Ugh. like that game was was unbelievable. Wright State was another one yeah. that they all year they'd been so dominant in the horizon, and I don't know that Northern Kentucky would have been in, in the NIT if they won that. Um, there's a couple more, but I just I just think you know you look. At those two specifically, we'll those, talk about the Southland in a bit. That's another one. Oh yes, how did Sam Houston stay? Yeah, so there's, there, there's, there's three or four that you could look at and go, how in the world, you know, did these four teams lose and go? So I think probably if half of them, right? If half of them pick any half, doesn't matter. Oh, yeah. If half of them win, right? Then I think ETSU, Fresno, some yeah. of those teams don't have any argument right. they're in. So Furman was the. You can look at it this way. Furman was the second highest net team left out of the NCAA. Mm. UNCG was apparently the 69th team yep. left out. ETSU was the highest net team left out of the NIT. It's all a trickle down, and a lot of it is because of the Pac 12, which I hate everything about the Which this I think Washington threw. I think Gonzaga. How you, you think they threw the game? You, you want some hot takes? I think Gonzaga has figured it out for the league that, hey, if we get to title games. Which and they we, always will. Yeah. We don't necessarily win that. What kind of share kickback are we getting? They beat St. Mary's by 48 points earlier. Did this you year. hear Mark Few's comments on that? No. Mark Few said to Jay Billis and those guys on ESPN about 720. I was flipping through channels. I'm like, oh, Mark Few's on here. See what he's got to say. 
Mark View said, well, really, that game was anomaly because just scouting. We went back and looked at it. I mean, just our scouting wasn't right. And the way we defended the few th- – you, you play them twice a year. They've had the same head coach for a decade. You've been the you played two teams. You played 30 times, 30 times in 11 years. And you're telling me this game you couldn't figure out. And you've won by like 70 in two games combined. And you're telling me all of a sudden, eh, I just never sure how to defend them. Are you kidding me? That so they figured out. You know, there are a lot of people in the Southern Conference is like, "Hey, uh, John Amarima, before you retire, why don't you uh, why don't you go talk to Mike Wood and his officials and make sure uh, UNCG wins? It's better for right. the league." You know, Wofford's in, they're in. Hey, it's a win-win. But you know, Southern Conference straight up, as you would expect, they played it out. That's the way it should be played, settled on the floor instead of what Gonzaga did. But I, I think Gonzaga. I think they did it. Now, I wouldn't be shocked if uh, Washington's like, hey, look, we're in. This starts going south. It's all right. No big deal. You know, we know we're in. It's better for the league if they get in. We get more shares. It's more revenue sharing across the way. Pac-12 desperately needs that going on there. You can't tell me there's not times that that happens. And I think Gonzaga and the West Coast Conference, if you look at their championship regular West Coast Conference and the way, oh, man, these other teams get in. Oh, shucks, we didn't win that. But so that's shocking to me. And I know a lot of Tennessee fans are still f- frothing over the fact that they did not get a one seed and Gonzaga did because, A, they beat them. And then and the argument, a lot of argument is Tennessee lost by like 1,000 to Auburn. Well, what in the world did St. Mary's do to Gonzaga in the championship game? Right. I just I, – I, I'm just I'm, – I'm not – I could care less about what, ones and twos. I mean, for the most part – I. You ought to be able to win whatever side of the but bracket that is. But a six-seed Oregon beats Washington the one seed, and that's a, allegedly – And they had to win four straight days, Oregon did. Right. And the way that tournament set up. That's allegedly the game that kept UNCG out of the NCAAs. That had a trickle down, so we think that may have knocked ETSU out of the NIT or was one of the things that did so because a lot of the narrative around the NIT was they're not putting three teams from the SOCON in. Speaking of three teams, the Pac-12 somehow gets three. A-State – Oregon, Washington, Colorado is not large in the NIT. In the Ohio Valley Conference, Murray State pulls off the two over the one also. This ends happily for mid-majors. John Morant and the Racers are in, plus Belmont gets into the NCAAs despite the loss in their title game, definitely taking them over Temple in the play, and Murray State faces Marquette, definitely taking them to at least win one. I like the Ohio Valley Conference this year. Patriot seed, or Patriot League, the one seed Colgate. Thank you for doing your job. Double-digit wins all the way through, including the final over Bucknell. Colgate gets Tennessee in the 15-2 matchup in the South Friday. In the SEC, Auburn living and dying by the three. Ton of shot makers, and they made their shots against the Vols to blow them out by 20. And deuces to the Tigers. New Mexico State with a resounding win is the call by yours truly in the 12-5 in the Midwest. The Aggies, number seven in the College Insider. They beat Auburn. 25. Write it down. Absolutely. No question. Maybe about it. Yeah. No, number one, I'll tell you, the, the ultimate inside going on. So I was at, uh, went to Las Cruces when we were at UTEP. That's where New Mexico State is. Sounds nice. Watched them play in person. Pretty good seats, by the way. Chris Jans, our head coach, has been on an assistant on two different staffs with the one head coach, Steve Forbes. Who do you think has already been texting and talking about how to defeat the Bruce Pearl offense? <laughs> the for insider. A, for a fact, I know they have already talked on two or three different occasions. On Why wouldn't you? You can't tell me everywhere in the nation, but especially you get to this level of coaching, guys have worked with somebody, call somebody, Resources. say, hey, what do you do? It happens everywhere. It happens everywhere. I mean, again, you don't think Bruce Pearl knows people that have worked with Chris Jans or – knew Chris Jan's bosses that he worked with and said, hey, what do you know about his system? 
on top of that. I mean, it's just too much going on right. to, to think that one way or another. Auburn's such a – if they hit their shots, they are really, really good. New Mexico State, the one thing they are, it's very shocking, it's very long. And, and until, again, you can read sheets and go, oh, well, he's 6'6 six, six and 6'7 six, and all that, but they're long. Seeing them in person, I was very shocked with the just the wingspan and length. Not Syracuse style, but they're long. And, um, uh, you know, they won 30 games. You know, and they have to fly and take commercial flights all over the place and to win 30 games because there is nothing, no. nothing near Las Cruces. Right. So, uh, I, it wouldn't shock me if they win that. So, Con, we know what happened here. Wofford, the one they faced Seton Hall in the NCAAs. UNCG is the number one overall seed in the NIT. Gets Campbell. Furman is a three in the NIT. Matches up with Wichita State. The Bucks get Green Bay in the CIT. And the Southland, Sam Houston State. Damn you. Beaten by New Orleans in the semifinals of the league tournament. Abilene Christian goes on to beat New Orleans in the league final. Sam Houston State gets the mercy auto bid to the NCAAs as an eight to lose to TCU. Abilene Christian, an unfortunate draw against the other most legit team in the tournament outside of Duke, at least I think so, that being Kentucky. I know you disagree. SWAC, Prairie View A&M, good job. This one seed wins the title, faces Fairleigh Dickinson in the play-in in the 16 in the West. In the Summit, the Dominator, who it would have been awesome to have in the NCAA tournament, loses I know in it. the first oh, round I know of the it. postseason. The Western Illinois, the eighth seed. Now, he played um, – um, they're like a seven seed in NIT. They play um, – oh, gosh, is it Texas? It is Texas. Yes, I think that – for NIT – there are a couple of NIT matchups, i got to be honest. I'm actually looking forward to watching. Uh, and, I, you know, I'm kind of curious to see uh, Clemens from Campbell, what he's able to do. I'm actually curious to see, obviously, what Furman does, which they'll stay. But – I want to see what Mike Dom is going to be able to do against Shaka Smart in Texas, who has some very long athletic uh, forwards that can kind of match up with him. Just curious if if Dom can throw twenty and ten on the board versus twenty five and ten. What he average? Well, I mean, you know, I mean, he scored three thousand points in his career. Right, seventh all time, I think. I mean, it's like he fell out of bed and just threw twenty on the board, regardless of what he did. Right. So, two of the top ten scorers in NCAA history in the NIT with Clemens. And Dom, NDSU, whom the Bucks handled at Freedom Hall earlier this year, going to run, beat number two seed Nebraska Omaha there in the 16 seed playing against North Carolina Central. As we mentioned, Dom and company. I think an NIT dark horse, Dom and company against Texas in the two verse seven. In the Sun Belt, rudimentary for Georgia State. They roll, needed just two wins in the Sun Belt because the top two teams get biased to the semis. Beat Texas State, beat UTA. The only ranked Sun Belt team in the College Insider mid-major poll brings it home and now faces Houston in the three verse 14. Final two conferences, West Coast Conference, of course, St. Mary's. Finally comes up big after I picked them two weeks ago on bold predictions. They failed me then. They upset the number one team in the country in the tournament final. The Zags still a one seed. St. Mary's in 11 versus Villanova in the tournament. BYU passes on any postseason bid after not getting a shot at the NIT as the three out of the West Coast Conference. And in the WAC, New Mexico State. One seed obliterated Grand Canyon by 32 to win the tournament title. Grand Canyon in the CBI against West Virginia in the first round of that tournament. New Mexico State about to beat Auburn in the 12-5 in the Midwest. So let me give you a rundown here. Yep. Leagues that had one seeds win, the America East, Big East, Big Sky, Big Ten, Big West, Conference USA, the MAC, the MAAC, the Patriot, the SOCON, the SWAC, the Sunbelt, and the WAC. Auto bids to the NIT. Campbell, Loyola, SDSU, Belmont, Lipscomb, not Belmont, sorry. Take Belmont off that list. They're in the NCAAs. Lipscomb, St. Francis, Hofstra, Wright State, Sam Houston State, and Norfolk State at larges to the NIT. UNCG, Alabama, Indiana, TCU, Davidson, Georgetown, North Carolina State. 353 of 353 Love it. teams. Love it. I don't want to hear anything from Debbie. Oh, I don't want to hear nothing from you. The very last 
strength of schedule in non-conference. You don't deserve to be in any tournament, let alone the NCAA. Totally agree. Uh, Providence, Arkansas, Furman, Wichita State, Clemson, Creighton, San Diego, Memphis, Nebraska, Butler, Texas, Xavier, Toledo, Dayton, and Colorado. I'm bitter about Toledo being in. The fact that they're knocked out in, like, the first round of their conference tournament just because a team ahead of you declines a bid to whatever postseason, you all of a sudden get an at-large to the NIT. I think that's garbage. I and and let's let's be honest with ourselves. The name recognition helps. I got to be honest. If ETSU had Furman's resume, I think they would have been in because people know. And I've already watched where they were showing you know the NBC win the other day. They were talking about other near misses before that, and they're showing ETSU and they're talking about this. And then they're showing the best fourteen upset, uh, upsets. ETSU was the first one they were showing. They beat her. There's a name there. Belmont has a name. It helped Belmont and Temple as a mid-major, has a name that people... Quote-unquote mid-major. Right. But they have a name that you recognize. They've had success. They've been there. Furman just doesn't resonate. You know, it, it, it hurts NC State and Clemson. They're just not known as bad. I mean, you know, in the 80s, sure, NC State won championship. I get it. Jim Valvano, the great run, all that. But it's just... They're not. They're not getting that. They don't get the benefit of the doubt that Syracuse has for all these years, right? They know that, and it's a money game. Syracuse is going to draw. They're going to bring lots of money to the table. I think there's just situations where certain teams have a little bit of a pull to where it. You can't help it. St. John's is had tradition all these years. It's a name, Big East. Are we going to give that to them? You know, Arizona State has had success, but not to the like Final Four. This day and so I but I think Belmont gets in over a Furman because of that I I I think you flip it and and Furman's resume is where it is and Belmont's resume is and you flip resumes Belmont still gets in I think they just Belmont's been to the tournament they've given people fits they've won games over the years and the committee I think whether you want to say it but there's a human element of who are these things same thing you know, with the NIT, okay, well, how do we get some of these big boys in here? Well, Clemson and, you know, Indiana and NC State didn't get in, and so let's do this. So I think name recognition hurts in the NCAA, and they can say it's a year-by-year basis, but it, but it's not. And, you know, Rick, Rick Bird gets in because he's been successful, because his best wins were against Lipscomb. Murray State, I guess they beat them well once. But I mean, but that's it. And they lost two out of three to Murray State, right? And Murray State ends up winning the the championship. So Belmont's best wins were Lipscomb, their cross town rival, you know, who won the A Sun. You know, you can't tell me. And a little knock on UNCG is they didn't beat anybody that was a, a no great a, wins. a quad one, no bad losses, except for the Southern Conference, right? right. And there's no bad losses. The Furman had the one bad loss at Sanford at home. That certainly hurt. But had the big win over Villanova. They had two conference champions that they defeated, Villanova and Little Chicago, which are much better wins than Belmont had. UCLA, what were they, like a quad three, quad two this year? Two or three? I mean, UNCG didn't have one of those wins either. And plus, you could even compare scores, which we did one day, where Furman pretty much wore out all the teams. Now you can say UNCG beat Furman two out of three, so they deserve it that way. I, I get that. I won't argue that. But I'm just saying, if you put the resume with Belmont beating Villanova and Belmont beating them and Furman's best wins only being Lipscomb or even Wofford uh, in that scenario, they don't get in. Belmont's still getting in because Belmont's name is bigger. That, that, or is more known. Not bigger, 
it is more known to the committees. I would like to make the point and see if you'd like to uh, say on air how much of a genius I am for saying that UNCG had the better resume and was a closer NCAA tournament team than Furman. They're a genius. They're a genius. By all means, sorry, I'm They're a genius. They're a genius. They're a genius. It's my good ear. It goes in and out. It's just random times, right? I mean, a lot of people don't understand in radio. I'm old school, so I do the one ear on and off. I'm doing the break. So my good ear, so I don't know whatever you play on that board. But oh, okay. My, I am the smartest man well, Everyone else will be able to hear it, so I'm happy about that. Here's my contention. After this 40-minute 40, 40 segment, all to say for me, that I think, and the reason we want to talk about the NIT is because that's the tournament the ETSU was closest to and got left out of, I think, snubbed from. But maybe it's just the system. I think they need to do away with automatic bids to the NIT. And I know the NCAA owns the tournament now, right? It's theirs. That's so. another, that's another se- I would like to do come back for one more show. Yeah. Like at some point. At some point, and, yeah. And, oh, and, we will. and just do what would we do if you could change the NCAA and the NIT? Landon has many. We got to bring Landon Land on that. He's got several different things. But I, I and I'll give you a little bit of preview. Mine. mine would be that the regular season champions are guaranteed in the NCAA. All the tournament winners would then go into the play in game. So they get tournament money. So you get NCAA tournament money because you won the tournament championship, but then you would play another game in. But the regular season teams that won twenty game that won, played a twenty game season, they won the regular season championship, they got twenty five whatever, they're in there. Proved it over a long, long yes. period of time. Yeah. And 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 to me, it doesn't matter if you can figure out the math. If there's eight teams and there's four games, and then okay, if there's eight teams that won the conference tournament that weren't regular season champions then you can go ahead and say, okay, those are now the play-in games into whatever. And you can say they're 16, 15. It doesn't matter to me because you're going to get a below 500 team in. And they won the three-day event, great for them. They should get a little reward. They play in a play-in game. If they win another game, they get another share of the money. NCAA, you get that money in there. And then some of the bigger schools that are complaining that they're in a play-in 11 seed, they're just in. So St. John's would be an 11. It, so-and-so would be an 11, but then the 15-16s would go. Now, that knocks out a few of those teams. And maybe St. John's and Arizona State aren't even in it now because of that. But I would like to see something like that. So the regular seat. So Wofford would already be guaranteed in. If UNCG would have beat them, then UNCG would have to play another team uh, in Dayton to get in the big field. But they still get NCAA tournament money. And, and so the money works out the same. Mid-majors would get more money, which means the big schools will never go for that because mid-majors get more money. But it would also protect some of the bigger schools and saying, look, we're not, we're not playing in Dayton. We're already in there. Let's let the – and the genius for that for me is that the lower leagues have an opportunity to pick up not just two shares because your regular season champion's in and the tournament champion's in. But if your tournament champion wins a game and gets to play a number one seed, they get another share. So there's three shares – that you could have. And then, of course, if you're regular season champ, we're able to win. You get four or five shares. You know, it could snowball to where the money would be a little more evenly distributed. But let's be honest. Is that really what they want to do? I don't think so. Here's why I think that you have to do away with these NIT auto bids. ETSU crushed Norfolk State and Sam Houston State. You look at 2019, ETSU has been really the same team as Furman. Have they not? Like just the 2019 calendar year. And you could argue that ETSU has been better than Furman during that time, and it ruins having the Bucks out of the NIT and in the CIT. A lot of great storylines. Like, I thought they could have matched up with Creighton. You know, the storyline there. Oh, ETSU was up by 11 with seven minutes left earlier this year. What about Xavier? You know, up 22 last year with 14 minutes left, and it came down to a buzzer beater from Karim Cantor. 
Uh, Mac McClung in Georgetown. You know, McClung, local kid, one of the best recruits ever out of this area. He could play Georgetown. And this is all what was going through my head as the bracket was being revealed. Davidson, previously in the Bucks Conference. Lipscomb, previously, previously in the Bucks Conference. So there were so many different storylines that would have been perfect for ETSU in these matchups that didn't come to fruition. And I know that the NCAA wants to reward regular season champions and postseason champions and all that, but I feel like they're taking teams that just do not, and this is the ultimate point of all of it, right? And it's been something that people have complained about for years and years and years, but they're taking teams that don't belong in a prestigious tournament. So I don't know if they need to get the CIT and the CBI on board too and be like, all right, Winners from this conference that don't win their conference title go to the CIT and the CBI. But you want the best field in the top two tournaments, and not including ETSU makes no sense. Do you agree that they should do away with auto bids to the NIT? I think, uh, man. I know not, it's not, tough, but. Not, to me, not, le- not unless the NCAA changes because mm. I. It, it that regular it, season doesn't mean anything. Right. I mean, just you, you get, like, for again, for a selling conference team. Now, this is a little bit different year. Wofford would have gotten in. But a lot of years, it's not the case. Wofford would have won 25 games. They had no shot of going. Yeah. And, and then if uh, you know if they don't go there, you know, Jay Billis made a, an argument the other day that really what's holding mid-majors back isn't the big guys getting in. It's the fact that the three-day tournament lets a sub-500 team in when you could let three SOCON teams in this year. Now, that doesn't always work out, and I, don't, I, I would love to believe that's the case if you said, okay, there's 30 leagues or whatever it is and say, hey, instead of, you know, the 30 automatics, we will take 30 mid-majors. That would be great if you're going to do it that way, but that's not how it's going to work out. They would only take 10 mid-majors right. and then 20. But it, in theory, it, it makes a little bit of sense is what hurting Furman and UNCG is the fact that, you know, a 15 and 17 sub-500 team can win their conference tournament and then – Boom! They've already taken a slot away. If you didn't have those, if you wouldn't have a Miaka Swack and lower leagues, but again, that all transfers here and there. So I think until they change NCAA tournament, I, I think it's at least something for the schools to 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 be given a right. At least they, to me, they earned their way into the NIT by winning regular season championship. Like they earned it in, as opposed to some other schools. I, I'm not necessarily. So the at large is what you have a problem with the NIT, much like the at large. Yes, exactly. Exactly because right. it was still more of a, oh Providence, you want to play? Sure, you know another Big Ten team, sure. Right. You know NC State, Clemson, sure. State, you know just all these other ones are, are Toledo. God, yeah, stop it's it. just there's several. Wichita State. Yeah, I hate to say it. They were ninety Diego. something just... in the or eighty three in the net, and just, I just just not good, not good. So frustrates me. All right, that was longer we wanted. Well, I, I love. There's it, just though. a lot to say. I mean, I, there's a lot I, to say. You know, if you're a mid-major fan, Southern Conference fan, you, you're probably have your own ideas too. Maybe we'll have that one day. We'll yeah. have a uh, give us your mailbag. Oh, it'd be one of oh, these. We'll oh, mailbag. Oh, I'm gonna play. Mail goes into three sections according to how important I think the mail Now, the least important stuff, I'm gonna burn that. If it's important, they're gonna send it again, right? The middle important stuff, I put that back in the mail addressed to me, so I buy myself a couple more days. And the most important stuff, that gets delivered. I actually burn that too most of the time. stops. There's never a let up. It's relentless. Every day it piles up more and more and more. And you got to get it up. And the more you get out, the more it keeps coming in. And then the box over the breaks. And it's probably just clearing out the deck. Like, 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 no, like, you control yeah. the mail. You control information. No one's ever cracked a 70% mark. <laughs> you are too good. Uh, uh, anyway. 
What day of Monday mailbag? Yeah, there we go. Uh, coming after after this, believe it or not, we're going to talk Bucci. a little baseball, hey, right? Hey, baseball, right, no ETSU Tennessee after this on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Ballot Health is an integrated health care system built to meet the local needs in Northeast Tennessee and Southwest Virginia. Together with community, we are transforming our region. We're making communities healthier. We're expanding access to critical services in rural areas. And we're investing in health research and medical education. It's your story. We're listening. Ballot Health is proud to be the official health care provider of ETSU Athletics, Go Bucks! The Carnegie Hotel is Johnson City's only AAA four-diamond property that is unique, tranquil, and brimming with character, just adjacent to East Tennessee State University. When it's time to dine, Wellington's restaurant in the Carnegie Hotel is the place to be, serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner in grand style. And why not come indulge yourself at Austin Springs Spa, located right inside the Carnegie Hotel. East Tennessee's premier full-service spa provides everything you need to rejuvenate, revive, and renew. The Carnegie Hotel, 16 State of Franklin Road in Johnson City. Wendy's has three new hamburgers on the new made-to-crave menu. The barbecue cheeseburger, the sauce and bacon cheeseburger, and the peppercorn mushroom melt. They've got so much swagger, they'll change the way you think about hamburgers and the way you ride through our drive-thru. Maybe you'll lean your seat back a little. Maybe a lot. Maybe you'll roll your windows down. Or maybe your window's broken because you punched through it to get your hamburger faster. Try the three new hamburgers on Wendy's new made-to-crave menu and download the Wendy's app for craveable deals today. At Wendy's, we got you. At participating Wendy's. Mulliken Hardwood Flooring is a beautiful addition to any room. Enjoy the luxury of hardwood flooring in your home with Mulliken's pre-finished, sold, or engineered, ready-to-install selection of beautiful hardwood flooring and a wide variety of domestic and exotic species. Please visit the following Johnson City locations to learn more. Dockery's Floor Covering, House of Paneling, Carpet and Door Mart, and K&M Flooring. Kingsport locations include Dalton Direct Carpets, Custom Floors by Carlin, El Providence Flooring and Paint. Visit the Smile Floor Service in Bristol. Trust the clear leader in quality hardwood flooring, Mulliken Flooring. General Shale is proud to support ETSU basketball and Southern Conference fans everywhere. Want to make the most of game day? Now you can design your dream home during pregame or halftime. The new My Designs app by General Shale lets you design custom projects right from your phone or tablet. Choose from up to 10 building types. Design with over 50 of our most popular brick and stone colors. You can even share your designs with your friends. Download the My Designs app by General Shale on the App Store or visit MyDesignsApp.com to design your dream project today. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks. But we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Baseball has been in full effect now for about a month and is really starting to heat up for ETSU baseball. Of course, Tennessee tonight at 6 o'clock. Make sure that you are there at Thomas Stadium. They take on the Vols, do the Bucks for the first of, I believe it's two this year, a game 
uh, at Lindsey Nelson Stadium one week from today. In between those two games, the opener at conference play. So a lot's going on, and head coach Joe Panucci joins us now. Uh, coach, firstly, an incredible start. You and me talked about it before the NJIT series. It was the best 15-game start in program history. You go ahead and sweep NJIT. Now it's the best 18-game start in program history, which I imagine, especially knowing that you had, I don't want to say a lot of question marks coming in, but nationally 25 newcomers ranks right up there amongst most in the country it has to feel amazing to know this group has gelled so quickly yeah they they have they've done a really good job I feel like uh it's been nice to see guys picking up each other um you we've had some injuries some guys have had to step in um I think that some of the young guys that uh, have had opportunities to play have done a pretty good job I mean they've had some ups and downs but they've done a pretty good job and I think that some of the older guys have done a pretty good job of leading the way of kind of hey, this is the way you're supposed to do things. This is what happens when you fail. This is what happens when you succeed. Understand that, you know, baseball is one of those sports that it can bite you sometimes. But um, it's been great to see these guys play well, compete, you know, when the games were supposed to. I feel like we've done a really good job with um, – I've been really happy with our pitching and defense, to be honest with you. I really feel like our starting pitching has kept us in games. We've had some pretty good bullpen guys that have kind of held the lead, and then I think we've played catch. I think we've caught the ball when we needed to, and – uh, and obviously we scored some runs, but uh, but pitching and defense has been really, really important. Before we talk about those specific things, take me on the recruiting trail over the past year because bringing in 25 guys, especially guys that you're going to need to contribute right away and guys that, if you look at the score sheet right now, are doing exactly that in droves, it seems like. You've got the guys that are, that are back and that are leading by example, Colin Smith, Cade Gilbert, Micah Katzer, but then you've got a ton of others that are in their first year with the program bolstering those. Yeah, it, it was pretty wild because – I think when I initially got the job, it was uh, early July, and we had we looked at the sheet, and it's like, holy cow, you got ten seniors, you got some roster spots that are open. You're, yeah. You know, it's like we spoke about before. So um, there was a lot of ground to gain, and I feel like uh, you know our coaches did a really good job of of being on the road and getting some the right guys on campus and guys that we feel like could uh, create a really good atmosphere here, and and not only that, but could still you know throw strikes, hit some barrels, and, and make some plays, but. Yeah, it was. It's it's a it, a lot. I it's guess. a lot. <laughs> it was a lot, and you know, as we move forward, obviously the classes won't be that big. And um, but it, it's been nice to see some of those junior college guys uh, come in and um, and have some success right away. And, and some of the freshmen, have, I feel like, have done a good job as well. So, but yeah, it is. It, it's a, there's a lot of moving parts when you have those kind of classes, and hopefully we won't have to worry about anything like that again. But um, it'll get a little bit more balanced. Just as we kind of move forward because it kind of has to. Some of those newcomers you talked about, Landon Knack, Colby Emmert, Ethan Cady, Noah Hill, Jake Lyle, uh, even Kyle Richardson is filling that backup catcher role uh, exceptionally, it seems like, so far. He's brought some power and is averaging, I think, like almost two RBIs a game when he's been in there, which is <laughs> impressive. Uh, and others kind of playing a lot, maybe still looking to find that uh, productive streak that's in the Markel Graham, Ethan Shelton, Tyler Cox is going to be coming off injury here uh, shortly, I, I know you hope. Uh, when you do get everyone healthy, because it's bound to happen, you know, fingers crossed there's not an, an injury that replaces the other injury that right. Tyler Cox is coming off, but it's almost kind of an embarrassment of riches on the offensive side of the ball, too. You talk about pitching and defense, but offensively you've got so many producing. It's going to be a good problem to have whenever that day does come around. Yeah, offensively they've done a really good job. I think we've strung some good at-bats together. We've gotten some big hits in some situations. Uh, just the other day, I mean, um, you know, Ethan Cady hits a home run to – in, in the eighth, so you know we go ahead and um, yeah, Shel Shelton did that a few weeks ago yeah. against Wagner, where 
uh, we were down and, and he ended up getting a two run homer to, to get us ahead. So we've had some some clutch hits, um, which has been pretty good. And we, I, I really feel like our abs have been pretty solid. So it's been good to see. And some of those bullpen guys didn't mention, you know, um, uh, Tate, Nate Tate has yep. done a really good job, and uh, Zach Kirby's done a good job. And then some other, you know, Colby Stewart, who's a kid who hasn't had a ton of opportunities, but he's a good arm and he's going to be fine. And some of those guys just. I think are um, they're going to get a ton of opportunities because not only tonight, but then we have weekend series against Western and a double midweek next week. Which right. those are tough, man. You five five games in a week is I don't know if anybody's really built for that. <laughs> you just you know you gotta you, you gotta create some guys are going to have to go back to back days, and it gives you a little bit of sense of what a regional sort of like or what sure. a conference tournament sort of like um, with having to do those things. So we'll see what we're made of. Um, you know, starting tonight at six at six p.m. I think uh, that's the exciting part, and I really feel like uh, you know, obviously we played well last weekend, but at Georgia State, I was really happy with the way we played because mm-hmm. you know we lost a really tough one in thirteen innings, and uh, I mean, I feel like we were at that park forever. It was one right. of those games where you're just you know you're standing around forever, and you know after pregame, and then you, and you go through nine, and mm-hmm. you get to thirteen, and you get lose. the lead, yeah, you get yeah. the lead in the thirteen, and it's in it's tough, and I was really. I, I, the same thing I said is let's see what we're made of tomorrow yeah. because you know rain forced us to play two nine inning games the next day right. and I was really just happy with I don't care who you play um, to be able to do what we did and, and sweep the day and play pretty good baseball and pitch really well and score some runs I was really proud of these guys so I think this is the next step to see what we're made of. You mentioned Western this weekend. Then the double midweek is at Tennessee Tuesday. Turn around and get Asheville here at home on Wednesday before another weekend series. Friday against Georgetown in the non-conference before every weekend the rest of the way is conference play. Talk about some of those guys that are back that are producing so much. Colin Smith, I know we all looked at him his first two years and said, boy, this is a nice, solid, productive bat right around 300. He's hitting 400 right now, one of 71 players in the country, and that's across about 300 Division One programs. So you do the quick math, that's 2,700 everyday players, quote-unquote. He's top 71 in the country in batting average. Cade Gilbert, somebody that ended last year, I believe, with five consecutive multi-hit games. If you can have momentum carry from eight months ago to this season, certainly seems like he's been able to do that. And then you talked about a bullpen arm, some new guys that have come in with Nathaniel Tate, Zach Kirby, Matt Mercer, somebody that got an early chance last year, didn't go his way, didn't get a ton of opportunities the rest of the way as you figured out your rotation and had some guys go out there. And now he's really one of your best relievers, it looks like, in terms of reliability and being out there a lot. So, so much growth, and specifically those three, but a lot that have been back. Yeah, it was, it's, yeah, it's awesome to see Matt. Matt's done a really good job. Uh, he's, uh, he showed some um, – he really works. You know, he worked really hard, and he understood that, you know, there was some opportunity last year, and I think he gained some momentum – in the fall he had a really good summer I think that's something that it's baseball is unique because summer ball sometimes can create some opportunity and some confidence and um, being able to work on some things which I know some other sports don't have mm-hmm. um, but baseball summer leagues can be really good for that and that's really benefited him and he came in the fall and it's been great he's uh, he's done a really good job um, good kid and it's, it's so happy to see him do that um, definitely you look today now and you see Tennessee across from you, number 16 in RPI. And so we talk about whoever you play. It's been kind of uh, one extreme on some weekends where you talk about teams out of the Northeast Conference, not known for their baseball, not a slouch of a conference by any means, but uh, you've had some better teams out of that conference. Then you had Georgia State. Then, though, you jump up to Power Fives and teams, if you look at all four of them, Vanderbilt, Virginia Tech, Clemson, and now Tennessee, they're all top 33 in the RPI. 
this competition is second to none. I, I'd be surprised if there are uh, schools around the country that can rival facing those four teams through the first month um, in a midweek or, or even outside of some of the showcases that they do nationwide where teams will go and meet in neutral locations and play. Uh, this is one of the most aggressive midweek schedules that has been out there. Uh, talk about the thought process, process behind scheduling that way. I think basically for me, from an outsider point of view, I'd say, well, let's see what we have against the best and then once you get to conference play then it won't be all new being in high pressure situations yeah i think we spoke about this before too once you're you know those places that we played mm -hmm. clemson you know even virginia tech uh you know who's uh, a new coaching staff they've done a really good job yeah. they're a good club um vanderbilt obviously uh you know in tennessee i think those are the programs that you have to go to you know, those are where regionals are. Those are where super regionals are. Those are environments that you have to be a, be a part of. It doesn't matter if there's two people in the stands or, you know, 2,200 people yeah. in the stands. There's uh, an environment that um, is different, and these guys need to be able to compete in that environment. And, you know, I don't. I think we've gotten off to some rough starts early in those games, which has kind of um, led to us, you know, playing from behind, which is difficult to do. But um, – it's great to be able to compete against those guys, and Tennessee's having a great year. It's great to have them here. Um, I, I enjoy going down there to play. It's a nice little – they have a nice park. And, um, you know, we have so many players that are from there, from the area, that, you know, that, that are excited to, to play those guys. And, and they're having a great year. Boy, talk about pitching. They, they can really pitch. So um, it'll be a really good challenge for our hitters and, um, and obviously our pitchers to – um, you know, to compete against them, they you know they can they can swing the bat, they can run, they got a pretty athletic lineup. Um, but being able to compete against those guys at that level can only make you better. You know, win, loss, tie, you're a part of those environments and you're competing every day, and that's kind of what we're trying to accomplish. Pitching on your side, the weekend has been incredible. Daniel Sweeney, someone that was more of a midweek guy last year, moved to your number three spot for the Sunday, and he's at like a two one ERA. And then Micah Katzer and Landon Knack right around. 1-7, and I think their record in 15 starts is 10-0. I mean, you can't ask for much more than that. You talked about getting off to some rough starts in those games against Virginia Tech, Clemson, and Vanderbilt. The starters, Hooper Mills, Kobe Stewart, and Zach Kirby, you and me discussed before about that number four spot, the midweek starter kind of being a chance for guys to get their feet wet in terms of starting and get some experience um, just simply because, you know, you've got the one game to kind of play with and see what guys have, right? So it uh, hasn't worked out for those three yet. Do you see a strategy going forward with either those three or others that can slide into that spot? It'll be others. Um, you know, those guys are all going to pitch. Yeah. It'll be certainly a, a staff effort, I think, as we move into tomorrow and, and through most of our midweeks just because – you know, we have a group of bullpen guys that we use on weekends and midweeks, and those guys, you know, we have to strategically say, hey, you know, this is kind of what his pitch count is to bring him back on Friday. Sure. This is what his pitch count is to bring back on Saturday. And those are the little things sometimes when you're in a stand you don't see, but um, you have to be able to utilize those guys on both weekends and midweeks because this year I don't know that um, we have a guy right now that we can say, hey, he's our Wednesday guy or he's our, he's our Tuesday guy. Now it could develop that way, mm -hmm. but we're just going to get it – like today, we'll try to get some pieces of the puzzle to um, to kind of piece together what we're trying to do and, and get some guys some mound time and, um, and compete against those guys. I know you haven't been around this rivalry uh, maybe as long as some others around this area, right? Second year as head coach being up at Stony Brook for the previous 12 years, but over the last 13 seasons, the teams are 12 and 12 against each other. So you look and say Knoxville, UT, the big program, quote-unquote, 
hasn't been the case and hasn't been the way things have gone between the Bucks and the Vols over the last 13 years. So certainly, I'm sure you're excited to not only be able to face them tonight and next week, but also have success like you did last year, winning two or three, and then be able to take that out on the road to recruits and others and say, well, look, if you know Tennessee is offering you this and uh, – we compete with Tennessee. We beat Tennessee. We are there with Tennessee uh, at every step of the way. Um, can you use these type of games, especially against in-state programs like a Tennessee, as a, I don't want to say bargaining chip, but certainly a notch in the belt of the program when you are trying to take those next steps? Yeah, I think it goes, you know, I, I don't know what's happened in the past. You know, I can tell you that, you know, Coach Vitell has done a really good job, and he's he's a good recruiter. They're good coaches over there. That, that program is going to be really good. And, for me, that's great because we're going to be playing, you know, them, you know, one to two times a year. Last year we played them three times yep. a year. So we're going to be competing against those guys all the time. Um, so for me, it's an opportunity to play a team that's an hour and a half away that, you know, is ranked all the time, and, and it's great to have. So, yeah, for me, you know, and from a recruiting standpoint, I mean, if you're recruiting an in-state kid, they love, hey, yeah, that's great. We get to play UT a couple times a year and, mm-hmm. and compete against them and have some success against them. So it, it, it's awesome. Two programs with their best starts in school history in terms of Tennessee through 18 games. They were 17 and won the Bucks through 18 now, uh, as Tennessee was swept by Auburn last week, are now 17 and four. The Bucks are 14 and four. So you can't catch these programs at a better time. Make sure you're at Thomas Stadium tonight, 6 p.m. Bucks and Vols. And that's our show. Thanks to head coach Joe Panucci. Thanks to Jay Sandos, who stepped aside after our conversation about the NIT, the CIT, the NCAA tournament, really everything underneath the basketball sun. There were gripes, there were complaints, not shocking, knowing us, if you've listened to the show before. But thank you for finding us on this Tuesday. Make sure you go out to Thomas Stadium. Bucks balls tonight, then this weekend, Western Carolina, the first conference opponent for ETSU. Very exciting time of year for Joe Panucci and company as their starters on the weekend look fantastic. Who they go with today, we'll have to wait and see. Tennessee being 17-1 before their sweep at the hands of Auburn. Obviously bring a ton of firepower, and it's going to be a fun one to watch at 6 p.m. When we will be back, not quite sure. Uh, Perhaps next week to preview the second round or quarterfinals, I suppose, of the CIT. Maybe after that game and on to April. We'll keep you updated on Santos and the Sidekick on the Buccaneer Sports Network. See ya.